Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, can I help you find something? Librarians specialize in helping you find what you were looking for, and sometimes what you didn't know you were looking for. Thank you for joining me as I talk to my guests about all things library, including the books inside them. I'm Julie Chavez, and this is Ask a Librarian. Nancy Pearl is a best-selling author, librarian, and literary critic who promotes a love of reading in all she does. She has worked in the public library systems in Detroit, Tulsa, and Seattle. Her many awards and honors include her most recent recognition from the National Book Foundation, which presented her with the 2021 Literarian Award for Outstanding Service to the American Literary Community. She was also the inspiration for the Archie McPhee Librarian Action Figure. Pearl speaks about the pleasures of reading to literacy organizations, libraries, and community groups throughout the world. She comments on books regularly on KWGS, the flagship national public radio station in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And you can also hear from her on Book Lust with Nancy Pearl, her television show on the Seattle Channel. Here is my conversation with Nancy. Hi, Nancy. Thanks for being here today. Oh, Julie, it's my pleasure. So nice to talk to you. And nice to meet you as well. Okay, I want to jump right in. Of course, I have your bio that I've shared and so many wonderful things that you've done in the literary and library worlds. And I love thinking about all of those, but I'd like to dial it all the way back and start with a very important first question. What was your first job? My first job was working at a mail order a mail-only bookstore, a bookstore called The Seller Bookshop in Detroit, Michigan. It was owned by my very first serious boyfriend's parents, and it was a bookstore that specialized in books on Asia, Africa, and the Philippines. That was a, a real specialty, Southeast Asia especially, especially, and Africa. So all out-of-print books, mostly out-of-print books in my time time there was putting labels on the catalogs that we sent out. Really, they they grew to be the owners just were really important in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and that was my first job. And it was just perfect. It was called the Seller Bookshop, but it was up on the second floor of an office building. And I developed a real interest in books on Asia, books on Africa, India. So yeah, that was my first job. That is a really appropriate first job. And that's fascinating. How long did you work there? Well, I did that job until I went off to college. And then at various other times in my life, I worked for them. I typed their catalogs for a long time. Do you know what a stencil is? (laughs) (laughs) I used to have to type it on stencil paper, stencil, whatever, 
things that they would then run through the mimeograph machine. Um, So yeah, yeah, for a long time. Amazing. Wow. So you were, you started off right with books. I did. I definitely (laughs) did. I couldn't imagine anything better. Fond memories. 75 cents an hour. That was my first. uh, (laughs) 75 cents an hour. Sounds like you were a bargain. They got you for a steal. Right. Yeah, exactly. A bargain at twice the price, actually, probably. (laughs) That's amazing. So how, so then you went to college and how did you from there end up getting to the point of starting to study library and go that direction? So I, you know, I grew up in Detroit and Mm -hmm. I had one especially wonderful, wonderful children's librarian at my neighborhood public library. In addition to having just a a great librarian in my elementary school and high school, I had good librarians all the way through, but especially my public librarian, Miss Whitehead, who really, you know, I wasn't a very happy child and I didn't want to be home because it didn't feel safe. So I spent all my time at the library and Miss Whitehead really gave me the world. And I love the story. When she met me, all I was reading was horse and dog books. And 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 Julie, if you and I went to Detroit today and we went to the Parkman Library, I could mm-hmm. show you where the horse and dog books, the kids' horse and dog books were shelved because that's, you know, I would just stand there and, you know, read every <laughs> single book that was there. And Miss right. Whitehead really you know, she sort of recognized something in me. And one day she came up to me and she said, you know, Nancy, we have a brand new horse book by Marguerite Henry, who wrote Sea Star and Misty of Chingoteague. She said, would you like to be the very first person in this library to read that book? And I said, well, yes. I mean, who wouldn't? Right. And so I like held out my hands for the book and in the very first example of bait and switch, I think that I was ever introduced to, Miss Whitehead <laughs> said, "Oh, but but before I give you this book, there's another book I want you to read first. And and she was Canadian, okay, and was you know very addicted, a, a real Anglophile, and so she gave me all the children's, all the British children's books." Enid Blyton and Mary Poppins and The Hobbit, all of those books she gave to me in exchange for giving me the new horse or dog <laughs> book that just came in the library. And really, I, I just, I kind of like to say that she gave me the world. I mean, she opened up the world of books to me, which is the equal of giving me the world. And so I knew when I was 10 that I wanted to be a children's librarian, just like Miss Whitehead because, you know, what she did for me. And so so my first job after library school, which which I got at the University of Michigan, that's where I went to library school. So my first job after graduating was working in the Detroit library system. And I didn't get to work at my branch, which would have been wonderful. And I didn't get to work directly with Miss Whitehead. But for a few years, we were colleagues. And that was so, so, so special. That sounds like it. I love that story. And I know you mentioned it in the beginning of book lust in the introduction. And I think it's very common, right? That they're, especially for lots of kids to have safe spaces to go where they can be seen as themselves and not in their normal context. It's so valuable. I think you're exactly right. I know that that is a story that I've heard before, but I love that bait and switch. And I am going to borrow that idea because I have a student 
who insists on getting books about foxes. And mm-hmm. so now this will give me a new, a new pack. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> I love to trick them into reading what I want them to read. Right. Especially when, you know, they're going to love it. I'm, right. I'm helping right. you. I'm just yeah. quietly forcing you. Right. Right. So I can't imagine there are a lot of books about foxes out there. There really aren't. And that's why we're really in a, we're in a rut. So this is perfect. Who knew I would get work solutions here as well? This is great. So I wanted to ask you, so you worked in libraries for a long time. When you, did you always want to write as well? When I was a kid and through my thirties, I wrote poetry. And what that meant to me was that lines would come to me and they would come as part of a poem. You know, they would be so clearly poetry and not prose. And my mother was a big reader of poetry. So I got a lot of that love of poetry from her. And, and, you know, I got a lot of back in those days, there were the scholastic writing awards. And I won a lot of, of those writing awards for my poetry. And I always thought that I would go on writing poetry. And then sometime in my 30s, the lines still came to me, you know, I would, a a line would just appear in my head. And, but it wouldn't be poetry, I couldn't imagine it in a poem, I could only see it as prose. And, you know, one of those lines that came to me was my mother talked to us all the time. Now, I could not figure out how to make that into a poem. That did not seem poem-like to me. It did seem like the beginning of what could be a short story. And so I wrote a short story, and it sold to Red Book Magazine, which was Bobby Ann Mason, I think, had a short story in the same in the same issue of Red Book or um, some major, major writer that I was like, wow, in the company of. And Red Book loved the story. The fiction editor loved the story. And she said, oh, you know, send us whatever, you know, when we want to see the stories. And so I would write a story and I would send it to them. And the editor would write back and say, oh, Nancy, it's too depressing for our readers. <laughs> After a while, I mean, I couldn't write anything else but depressing stuff, it seemed then. And so I stopped writing. Okay. Stopped all that writing and just never really thought I would go back to it. Although there's still one unfinished poem in my head that I keep thinking about. But then instead of a line that came to me, two characters came into my head and they just, I loved them so much, George and Lizzie that for years, I I just kind of thought about them and thought about what their story was and what happened to them. And I didn't write anything down. I just, they were like, like, like a comfort in a way, like I would lie in bed at night and I would tell myself stories about these two people. And I gradually got to know really basically everything about them and their lives separately and together. And then one day, as frequently happens, I think to all readers, I couldn't find anything to read. You know, you get in a certain mood and you know there's a book out there, but it and you pick it up and you pick up all these books and just nothing fills that particular need that you have at that particular moment. And I thought, And I get very grumpy when that happens. And it isn't pleasant for my husband to be around me. 
Oh, I hate this. Why don't I have anything? I can't find anything to read. And then I thought, well, I have these people in my head. I have, I have all these stories about these people. I could, you know, I could write it down, write them down, and there would be things for me to read that I knew that I loved. And so basically I wrote a book that I love to read. I mean, I wrote a book for me. I didn't think it would be published. I didn't think, I didn't think anything about, about it except that I could tell all these stories about these, this couple. And yeah, so that's, that's I, the writing. I love that story. And it's so fascinating that you say that that's how it came about because that's how those characters felt to me. I finished the book a few weeks ago, but it is, that was among my top 10 of last year. I oh, loved good. it. But good. my favorite thing is how connected I felt to Lizzie. I was so invested I would creep away from my family, which I often do. I have to go hide out with my books because otherwise they'll just keep talking. (laughs) So I ran away, but I just was so moved by her and I loved her. I love her. I really feel like she's a real person. Yeah. And to me, so it's, it is not, I mean, I think that if you're writing fiction, a part of you is in every character that you're writing you know, and what Lizzie did and Lizzie's life and all of that, that's not my life at all. You know, I acted out in different ways than Lizzie acted out. (laughs) I had different parents than Lizzie had, but a lot of, a lot of Lizzie is stuff that I, you know, saw in other people. I mean, she's really an amalgamation of really everyone that I've met and probably every character in every book that I've met. One of the fun things about the book was that I got to read the audio book. And so what people have told me is that, you know, they listened to me reading the book and they said it felt like I was just sitting next to them on the couch telling them this story. And I mean, I knew when I, I know enough, I've thought enough about why people like the books they like to know that this is a book that fulfilled my needs. You know, it's nicely written, very nicely written. And the characters are, are really three-dimensional. Yes. The characters, it doesn't have a lot of plot. You know, it's not a, it's not a psychological thriller. Yes. You know, you follow this couple's relationship, which is plot, you know, there's an arc, but there's not a lot of action in it. So I knew that there were going to be people who loved books with a lot more action than that had a lot more plot, but that didn't matter to me because it was a book that I, that I loved. And in many ways, I wish I hadn't, it hadn't in some ways, I wish it hadn't been published because I could see going on and writing about them pretty much forever. That is so, (laughs) that that makes sense, right? There is a closeness there that then is changed. Once Mm -hmm. it's out in the world and right. Yes. Well, I'm very glad you published it personally because I very much enjoyed it. And I really, I think you said it, the the characters were three-dimensional and also it made me laugh so many times when you talked about Lydia and Mendel being born of graph paper and they, of course they didn't have parents. I just was there. It was so well done. So thank you. And 
I can't wait to recommend it to everyone I know, which is to shove it into their hands. Right. That's, that's the kind of friend I am. <laughs> Read this. Yeah. So I have a question for you. I was reading through the writer's library, which I also loved. And I really liked in the introduction, how you were talking about how you and Jeff got connected because I'm fascinated by the ways that our lives turn right. on very small moments sometimes. Yep. And even that that book was born of that meeting between the two of you. I thought that was so lovely. What? So I borrowed a question from you there about what books do you find wisdom in? Oh my gosh. You know, I don't, I had to, I, I had to answer this question kind of in a different way. Like somebody said, what are your formative books? Oh, okay. You know, but which is, which is different than finding sure. So I don't think that I had formative book. I don't think I necessarily, I think I read for the joy of it. And so the wisdom, I don't think I connect to that question at all. Like what do you find wisdom? in? Well, what's funny is just listening to your answer. I was thinking, I didn't ask myself this question, but I truly think I find a little bit in any book that I love. That's to me, what marks a really good book is something lasting and true that is it, so it can be in fiction or right just right, those right. moments of moments of consonance where you think oh that's exactly right it's put perfectly yeah so i can see that absolutely put perfectly or those moments when you say oh my gosh no one else has ever said that in quite that way this is something that is just mind boggling, you know, yes. that kind of thing. But I, and there was a, and I, I think I, I wrote about this somewhere, but there was a book that I read when I was about 12 called Space Cadet by Robert Heinlein. My mother <laughs> was also a big science fiction fan. And I remember where I was in the library where I picked it, you know, where I picked up the book and I started reading it. And there's a, there's a, you know, it's set in the future, a little bit in the future. And this young boy applies to be a space cadet, like, like, you know, you would go to the military academy or West West Point or Annapolis. And, but this is for going to space and, and he's given a test, you know, part of what he, part of what all those candidates have to go through are tests. And the tests involves sitting in a room by yourself with like a milk bottle and you're instructed to close your eyes and drop like beans into the milk bottle as best you can, but you have your eyes closed, but there's no one else in the room. And so when he finishes, he sees that he just has one or two beans in his milk bottle and he goes out as you're supposed to do. And he sees that there are, you know, other boys there because they're all boys, other boys there who have like, you know, their milk bottles are full. And he thinks, oh my gosh, you know, I failed this test. And then there's a line in the book that says, but maybe he didn't know what was being tested. And, and, and what was being tested was honor, you know, the whole honor code, whether you kept your eyes closed or not when no one was looking. So that book, wow, you know, the author, Robert Heinlein went on to be I, I, his politics were <laughs> diverged or my politics diverged from his later politics. Understood. But his, the books he wrote for kids, for teens, I think were just absolutely, and they're still in print, were absolutely wonderful. So that book, I think, made me think about what honor meant. 
and and how to live up to your own, I guess, sense of of honor or sense of who you are. So that book, I mean, I'm not sure that's wisdom. No, but I love I love that, and it speaks to that idea that you know I also can't point to one formative book, mm-hmm. but it is sort of these slices of books and the idea. I know in the essay at the beginning of the writer's library, where she, where Susan Orlean speaks about the libraries in our minds and that idea, I think that's so true, right? A few pages from certain books that are just with you forever. There are sentences that I've read that will hopefully never leave. Right. Just yeah. those yeah. where it can be kind of part of you. So mm-hmm. I love that. This is, I just... I'm a book lover and I love talking to other book lovers because it just makes me feel so happy. (laughs) What are you reading now? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I just finished a, a wonderful book. I was I, late to this. I think this was published early in 2021. And it's by Laird Hunt. And it's called Zori. And it's the story of a young woman growing up in, well, we meet her when she's in her teens in Indiana in the, in the 19, late 1930s, and then through many decades. And it's, it's about Zori. It's about her life. And it's a very quiet book. Hmm. And, and there is no plot except her life and her life as all our lives do really contains multitudes. And and, you know, the ordinary sorrows and she goes through World War Two and her husband goes to war and, you know, she was raised by an aunt who was not very kind to her. And and then she grows old and it's just an amazing, an amazing book. It reminded me, you know, I haven't stopped thinking about it. And it reminded me of the Stone Diaries, that that novel that came out many years ago now whose author I am forgetting the Stone um, diaries I'll look yeah. it up I'll put yeah. it in the notes okay yes yes <laughs> which is also the story of a woman's life and okay. I just thought oh now that's a book that maybe I'm gonna have to go back and reread or when I'm talking about Zori that would be a book to recommend oh fascinating so, I'll put yeah. it on the list I good. those sorts of books are so wonderful when they don't necessarily have a plot 
that we would necessarily look at that way, but they still have that richness. And you're right. The ordinary sorrows and the ordinary happenings of our lives that amount to a life for a writer to be able to capture that, I think is stunning. And he did. I mean, he absolutely Mm -hmm. did. And then at the other end of the spectrum, I'm rereading one of my favorite mysteries, which is called Claire DeWitt and the City of the Dead, which is a very scary title. But the City of the Dead is New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. But it's a mystery. And I'm a big fan of the Veronica Mars TV show. Yes, yes. The first season, which is just, you know, was like, pure pleasure. I love, you know, love the the actress who played Veronica Mars and I, I love Veronica Mars. So this has a kind of Claire DeWitt is sort of self-described as the self, the best detective in the world. And here she's looking, you know, she's looking for someone who has disappeared in the hubbub of Hurricane Katrina. It's absolutely wonderful. There are two sequels. And if you like kind of smart talking, youngish female detectives than Claire DeWitt in the City of the Dead. And then the two sequels are just wonderful. And interestingly, I I just have to say, so so I I, turned into this huge Sarah Grand fan, the author's uh, Sarah Grand, uh, just a huge fan based on those three books. And then I tried to read her other books and just couldn't connect with them. And so you know, I frequently get asked who's my favorite author, but it's never an author. It's a book or, or you know, well, it's a, a book usually. And I looked up Laird Hunt yesterday because I thought, well, now I'm going to get, you know, find out what else he wrote. And, <laughs> you know, then read the descriptions and they like one is a horror novel or something. And it just didn't sound at anything like what I would want. So for me, it's always those individual books rather than an author. An author. I think I agree with you. I find that there are certain ones that stand out for me and even authors that I really enjoy. It's still, there's always one that I think, oh, that's the one I love. I also love Kristen Bell. I'm Uh a huge fan of The Good Place, but Uh I have not yet watched Veronica Mars. So I will. Oh my gosh, you've got to. Yeah. Especially that first, the first two seasons are great. And then then they made a mistake in, you know, not exploring her high school life anymore and sending her off to college. And it just wasn't as good. And then they did the kind of Kristen Bell reunion show. And that was, I, I cannot in all honesty recommend that. (laughs) I have a complicated relationship with reunions. So I'm currently trying to decide if I want to watch the Harry Potter reunion so I can relate right where I just, I don't, I don't know if I want that much reality. I don't think I can do it. Yeah. I yeah. don't want to know you got older. Did yeah. you read the Alan Bradley series too, Flavia Deleuze? Yep, yep, yep. And those are books too that I like. The first one was just absolutely brilliant. I mean, I mean that voice, Flavia's voice, oh. was and the mystery in the first one. But but again, quite honestly, I thought he couldn't keep up with. Mm. He just the later ones for me when the when the girls go to Canada. Yes. The very latest ones uh, when they're in Canada. I just didn't think, and, and, you know, I'm always, I always believe that it's your mood, you know, 80%, 90% of why we like a book or not is where we are, you know, and I, and it could be that I just wasn't in the right mood when I picked up those later ones, but the earlier ones, oh my gosh, I love Flavia. So clever. When she, 
puts the poison into the chocolates or into her sister's lipstick. I was dying. I was like, this is the best thing I've ever read in my life. Yeah. I just, the voice. Yes. Just amazing. Yeah. I love that book. I love those maybe first three. Yeah. Quirky heroines. Yeah. I think I agree with what you're saying about so much is about your mood, right? And where you are in the season of your life and all of these other things that come together and appreciating a book for what it is. And yet knowing when it's not right for you. And I love your rule of 50 for that. Good. So your rule of 50 is 50 pages. If you're, if you're 50 and under, if I'm 50 and under, I give the book 50 pages. And then if I'm older than 50, I subtract my age from 100 and that's the number of pages that I give it. Yes. I am 100% going to use that because I think it's so wise. And we talk about that even with the elementary school kids, because, you know, they're, and I'm sort of a just type A girl. And so there were so many years where I would never abandon a book and I will never get those minutes back. It is (laughs) just unnecessary. Right. I mean, you, there's, you can always go back. Yes. The books, you know, there are plenty of books that I started, you know, and didn't enjoy, didn't like, and put down and then picked up six months later and loved it. And that happens so frequently. But when you're not in the mood for a book, I mean, I'm not in the mood now for anything sad. I just cannot read anything. I don't want anything sad. And a friend said, was telling me about a book she was reading. Oh, this was a woman from Michigan, from Detroit, I think, who went off to fight Hitler in World War II. And I interrupted her, my friend. I said, Rita, does she die? And 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 Erin Rita said, "Yeah, she does. You, you know, you know that right away." I said, "I'm not reading it." So, <laughs> I love these. I'm going to stop you right there. Right. <laughs> Tell me how this ends. Yeah. Well, I think there's again such that's such a good way to approach your reading life, though, and to help a reading life be something that you enjoy and something that's life giving for you is having the freedom to say, "No, I." I'm not in the mood for that right now. Right. right. And you go through periods where, I mean, this year, 2021, a lot of 2020, mostly I was reading British women writers from the mid 20th century that have all been, that are being reprinted by various published, various British publishers. Mm -hmm. Um, And just having a wonderful time being back in that period. So, and then, you know, and then I discover a book like Zori or a book like The Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead, which is another wonderful, wonderful novel. And like, okay, I can be here now. Yeah. Are you a fast reader? I am a fast reader. I am a fast reader. But the kind of books that I love demand that I slow down because they're books where the language is so important that you want to savor the different the different phrases. Yes. I love that. Marking something that's just perfect is so satisfying. Knowing yeah. those words just, oh, I love it when people are able to do that. Okay. So I'm going to go full nerd. I will say that a recent accomplishment at my house was finally convincing our sons, one of whom is a teenager and one is almost there to sit down and watch Lord of the Rings with us uh-huh. because we tried a few years ago and there was some general wailing and gnashing of teeth. So this year it happened. We watched it. So when I was thinking about talking to you, I was wondering what you think is 
next for the age of libraries? I was deep into the age of the age of the elves is over, but I do feel like libraries have survived so much of this digital wave and so many people predicted their demise, but we've seen their value outside of books too. But what would you say is next? What are the conversations that are worth having now about libraries and where they go from here? Well, one thing that worries me is that libraries, many libraries are abandoning or or de-emphasizing the traditional role of libraries, which is information, the love of reading, literacy, abandoning that or or de-emphasizing it in favor of a sexier approach, if you will. So, you know, 3D printers or podcasting booths or, you know, depending on how much money the library, the libraries have. It worries me because libraries are, public libraries are the only place. I mean, the public library is the heart of the community. It's the bedrock of the community. You know, it's a gathering place, but even even more, it's a place where you can come to to get information. Now it's a place where people are, you know, you can come and get a COVID, you know, a self-test for, you know, COVID. But it's the only institution that lends you reading material and that has people who can help you find not only the information that you need to live a better life or or you know, whatever you need, but that can help you find books that will enrich your life. And I worry because I see it in different libraries. I worry that that traditional role is being relegated as something that is no longer needed in our society. And actually it's needed now more than ever. So that's a conversation that I think is really worth having. To me, the digital, it was so lucky for so many people that ebooks were available during, yes. you know, the, 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 you know, I mean, the circulation of ebooks, like I was talking to the director of the Miami Public Library, and they were open for much of the pandemic, mm-hmm. continue to be open, but that their circulation of ebooks went way, way, way way, you know, just shot into the stratosphere. Of course. And that's great. I think that's absolutely great. But one thing that worries me or that made me a little sad is that we we like to think that the library, I like to think that the library is a central of, of great importance in the city. You know, that it, that it's as important as the police department and the fire department and you know all the other city, the the the, the, the city departments, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in many places, Seattle included, the library closed. You know, mm-hmm. for various reasons, and I'm sure they. I would not want to be a library director. I would not want it wanted to have made that. I never wanted to be a library director. I never would have wanted to make that decision. But it's it you know, how much, how important are we if we can close the library? Now, you know, you could say, oh, but there's all those ebooks and we made those all available and we did this and we did that. And that's great. I'm really happy. But that was something that made me, that made me 
think about our role as librarians and the role of public libraries in a community. Thank you for sharing that. I I agree with you. And I think there's so much value in exactly what you're saying, which is looking at that honestly in terms of how, how important the library is and do we treat it that way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I guess that there should be a discussion about is you know, librarians have always done what was needed in their communities. So when the great immigrations of the early 20th century came and, you know, people were coming from all over Eastern Europe, it was the librarians who set up literacy, you know, English as a second language classes. And so librarians have have traditionally responded to the needs of their community. But librarians are not social workers. You know, Mm. they are not they are not trained to be social workers. And it just breaks my heart that librarians are, are forced to or are put in the position of doing things that are really something that the city government should be doing, not the public library. So that's my high park speech. I appreciate your perspective. And I I think you're right in terms of the importance of of knowing, knowing what we're asking people to do and are we equipping them for that? And where, where does this all belong? I mean, I think so much was tossed up in the air in 2020. And now we do have a chance as it comes back down to make sure all the pieces are in better places. And hopefully we can do that. But I know that that's a tall order. Maybe they'll let us run it. Yeah, right. I'll be your assistant. <laughs> I could be your assistant. You could be. <laughs> okay, we can flip a coin for it. Yeah, <laughs> that'll be better. Sorry. Well, I just have one more fun question. What is one thing that you're not good at that you wish you were good at? Oh my gosh. Okay, so one thing that I'm not good at at all. I gave this to Lizzie in the book. She's not good at it either, and okay. that is house cleaning. And I'm terrible at that. And it's because I have no, well, I'm not sure why, why I'm terrible. I'm not sure what the reason is that I'm not good at it. I I think I don't have a lot of patience. Okay. Actually, and I think I say this exactly in George and Lizzie, that when I look at a room, it disarranges itself. It just, you know, it just gets messy. And when my husband looks at a room, and my husband is very much like George in the book, has a lot of George's qualities. When when my husband looks at a room, everything just jumps to attention and the books get put in piles and the dust disappears and you know the floor gets vacuumed of its own accord. So I'm not good at that. I am not a person who is, I'm not interested in, I'm not good at or interested in nuts and bolts. I'm really, you know, I have a million different ideas, but there's no way that I I don't have the talent to to carry them out. <laughs> You're the idea woman and you need someone to implement it. Yes, very much so. Well, I can relate to that. Uh, <laughs> my husband says that my life motto is shoot, aim, ready. Because yeah. <laughs> I don't really <laughs> think about the logistics. Right, right. So I think maybe, again, when we work together, we'll yeah, be right. the idea people and we'll just get some other people to, right. to make it happen. And they're so important. I mean, I could not have you know, achieved any, anything of what I did at the library without somebody making it all happen. Oh, well, (laughs) it's, 
it's wonderful. And I love the, if all of Seattle read the same book, that whole idea, I just love all that you do to, to help people love reading, because I think it's just a, I think it's a lifelong gift. Obviously I'm a fan, but I just, I love what you bring to the library world. And I'm so thankful that you took some time with me today. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. It was, it was so much fun to talk to you. It was fun to talk to you too. And I did want to tell you that I have in my library, a collection of tiny things because this is the advantage of working at an elementary school, right? Yeah. I made the mistake once of telling them that I liked tiny things. I had these teeny tiny colored pencils and now it's gotten completely out of control. I have a full case. And one of the teachers said, well, you're going to need another one. And I said, stop. No, we need limits. But one thing that will be in the case is the tiny Nancy Pearl. (laughs) Oh, good. And I will post a picture of this, but I can't wait because I will look at it and I will think of our conversation and I really appreciate you. So thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome, Julie. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Ask a Librarian. As always, it's my joy to share and learn with you. You can follow me on Instagram at juliewritesWords, or you can go to my website, juliewritesWords.com. There you'll find the show notes, including all the books mentioned in the episode. See you in the stacks next week. And until then, friends, never go anywhere without a book.